You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin podcast. International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative kindly supported by the Arts Council. For all the latest festival news or to sign up to our newsletter, visit www.ilfdublin.com. So I'm Aoife Murray and I am Programme and Events Manager at Children's Books Ireland and I'm here to talk with Louise O'Neill and Sarah Crossan. So I will introduce them to you. This is Louise. Louise is from Clonakilty in County Cork. She writes novels and also is a freelance journalist. Her first novel, Only Ever Yours, won the CBI Eilish Dillon Award for her first children's book last year. And this year, yesterday, she won the Honour Award for Fiction for her second novel, Asking For It. Beside her is Sarah Crossan. Sarah lives in London and sounds English, but is definitely Irish. (laughs) Um, She has published six novels and also won the Eilish Dillon Award for her first, uh, which is called The Weight of Water. I know we've got big fans of that book here this evening, or this morning. And yesterday, Sarah won the CBI Book of the Year Award for one, and she also won the Children's Choice Award, which is the award voted for by shouting groups across the country. So a big welcome to the two of you. And so I'm going to ask a few questions and we get some conversation going and then we leave some time at the end for questions from you guys. So if any, any burning questions you're holding on to, just, just keep them in mind. We'll have come to you later on. Um, so we might start at the beginning and ask, um, what were you both like as a teenager? What were you like as a teenager? Oh Do you want to go first? <laughs> this is a question that I think we've probably both been asked to write about <laughs> yeah. for something that's yeah. coming up. Oh. Um, and I, I'm so bad at answering this because you want to be like, oh, I want to tell my like teenage self to sort of be more sensible, or I don't. But oh I was God. like, I was the most sensible teenager. <laughs> so while my friends are like out drinking and misbehaving and kissing men who are much older than them, <laughs> I was like lying to my parents and going, I'm going to the pub with my mates, and I would go and see Taming of the Shrew at the oh. Royal Shakespeare Company, and then be like, you know, I was totally drunk last night, Mum. I really was. And actually, I went to the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> like I was the nerdiest child, but it was like. I, w- I kind of didn't go to a good school and I just wanted to escape. And yeah. I knew, and it sounds really lame, but like I knew education was the only way that I was going to get out of where I was. And so like, okay, my friends could go to Chico's and like, ooh, ooh. but I was Chico's. like, I'm going to just read my books and I'm going to do really well in my exams actually. <laughs> and I did, and oh. I went to university and like, I did all right. So it worked out for me. So, so sounds like your parents are cooler than you, was that? Yeah, my parents are so much cooler <laughs> than me. My parents are cooler than I am as yeah. well. So, uh. And I had three brothers and they were like all into Spurs, like they were into football. And I was just like, I was just like lame. But it's fine. <laughs> but I was like, I had no confidence as well. So I think if I could like talk to my teenage self, I'd just be like, like stand up a bit. Like stop mm. sort of being, trying to hide yourself the whole time. I just felt like I was always ignored or looked over because I wasn't very pretty or particularly intelligent or any of those things. So I just sort of felt invisible, I think, as and a teenager. And maybe in hindsight you realised those things weren't true at all. It was just how you felt about yourself. Yeah, perhaps. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. What about you, Louise? Um, I think when I was a child, I was really, um, I w- I'd say I was quite annoying actually because I just didn't care what anyone thought of me. I was really confident, you know, like one of these really confident children. And I think that as soon as I hit adolescence, um, that was knocked out of me pretty quickly. Um, and I think I spent my entire teenage years just pretending to be something that I wasn't um, because, you know, I grew up in a really small town and everyone that I knew had very different um, opinions and ideas that I did about even things like gender and sexuality and, and you know, race. And I, I didn't, any time that I suppose I really spoke up or gave an opinion, I was shot down pretty quickly. Um, so I just spent, i say, as I said, my entire teenage years just trying to fit in. Um, and 
I think actually that tension between how I felt myself and how I felt in private and between the person that I was pretending to be around people who were supposed to be my friends and in school, I think there was such a, it was actually so overwhelming at times that I think that's probably why I developed um, anorexia, which I struggled with the whole way through um, anorexia and bulimia, which I struggled with the whole way through my adolescence. So I think I, on the outside, I seemed really confident, really popular, um, you know, like, you know, d did well in school. And it, I seemed really like I, my whole life was perfect. And I was really, really struggling underneath that. So. Um, and the writing bug, when did you kind of first identify that you had the writing bug and that you might want to be a professional writer, Louise? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I well, again, when I was a child, I sort of went through phases. Um, it was I really wanted to be an actress. That was my main thing. And then I went through a bit of a phase of wanting to be a nun. Um, when, and honestly, anyone who knows me now thinks this is the most hilarious thing they've ever heard. That like, you a nun, unlikely. Um, I think I did uh, as well because there's something really romantic about it, like living with all these women and yeah. just like hanging out, yeah. and, like doing some. I don't know. I went to an all-girls like, school. I, I'm yeah. not sure why I thought that would be a good idea, yeah. but um, uh, yeah. And then uh, I would, it was really acting. Actually, that was the one thing that I that was all I wanted to do. My parents really wanted me to go to acting school. And it's like that reversal where I was like, no, there's no jobs in acting. I'll do English <laughs> literature in college. And they were like, no. Um, but uh, yes, I think, it, but I, th I think actually it, it's sort of similar because when, when you're acting, like you're, you're taking on another character, you're understanding their motivation, you sort of become them in a way. Mm. Um, and I think that's what, a, a lot of that is very useful in writing. And even with dialogue and sense of pace um, and just it was, it was the rhythms of language, I think that's actually come in very useful, you know? Okay, cool. And what about you, Sarah? When did you first realise that writing was for you? don't know. Sometimes I think, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, some mornings I wake up, I'm, like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, but I don't know. I feel I, you. All, all through, I think, when I was at school. But it was, the, I mean, I always talk about it, but it was like, okay, I, I can love writing and I can think it's very nice to do, but it's not, someone like me is not going to get published. And that was, I had that thought all the way through until I got published. Or, you know, someone like me is not going to get an agent. Someone like me is not going to get published. Someone like me is not going to be up for an award. Someone like me is not going to win something. Some mm -hmm. of, you know, so mm -hmm. I think that I, you know, even as an adult, you constantly are struggling with self-confidence or whatever. But I always loved writing and I loved reading. And as I said, I was a sort of a nerdy child. And it was also my way of learning about the world, books and things. Like my parents were, they sounded like they were really cool, but they weren't that cool. Like they were <laughs> I, I remember saying when I was... I think I was 12, and I was like, what are the birds and the beads? Like, I was 12. No, I wasn't so eight years old. And I said those, and it was like, I probably knew what it was, but that phrase, mum went, well, I, 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 I'm not, not sure. Ask me when you're 14. And it was like, so I was like, well, I'll go to the library, and I can find out for myself. Um, and so books, I suppose, taught me loads of things, and I, I, I escaped through writing as well. But like, I went to university, and it was, I studied philosophy and literature, and it wasn't until I was a teacher, and then someone asked me, had I always wanted to be a teacher, and I said, yeah, but I've always wa wa I wanted to write as well. And they mm -hmm. said, well, stop telling us to live our dreams and go and do it yourself. Yeah. Cheeky student. <laughs> and I went, all right, then I will. And I went off and did a master's right. in creative writing. Do you know what I find so interesting is when um, you say, you know, people like me don't, um, things like this don't happen to people like me, because I suppose for my entire life, all I've ever said is, why not me? Mm. Which is such a weird. Cause I don't. I don't think I'm particularly special, or I don't think I'm. Sp you know, particular. But I've always had this sort of. Well, why shouldn't it happen to me? Like you know, it happens to 
you know, like Beyonce wasn't, you know, didn't come from a rich family. Like, you, do you know yeah, that kind of, yeah, not that yeah, I'm comparing yeah. myself to Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> We're just the same, me and Bay. <laughs> I know. Half of you did you're going to be going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, and it's funny, because as I said, it's not like, you know, as I said, like I've had all these, it's not like I've been so supremely confident my whole yeah. entire life, but it's, it's weird just to hear that, but because it does happen to people like you. Yeah, well, and I it don't has know. happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think that like it was that whole thing of feeling invisible and feeling yeah. like I was never going to be seen. And I felt like I had all this stuff bubbling inside me, but that I couldn't somehow like, ah, uh, get it out. Mm. And I still feel like that when I speak. And that's why writing is a really good way of me sort of expressing myself. And I remember being in the car and we were driving from London to Stranra so we could get the boat over to Lahn so we could drive to Donegal to see my dad's family. And I remember being in the car, like that's an eight hour drive to Stranra mm. from London. And I was with my three brothers in the car, my mum and my dad are in the front. And I thought, if I don't talk, at some point they will notice I haven't spoken. So it was like, not talking was going to be my way of like not like getting noticed because they weren't <laughs> going to hear me over like the babble. And we got from London to Letterkenny, to Maharabeg in Letterkenny, and no one noticed that I hadn't spoken. Oh. I know! Oh. That is oh, actually my child, and it was awful. <laughs> But it was that thing of like I was I was sort of invisible in my house because my brothers were like ah I'm sure you weren't (laughs) I was so oh this is such great free therapy. (laughs) We can't even see you're going to charge me at the end, so like that's 95 euros for the session, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so why you were um, so sad at home being ignored, um, what kind of stories were you writing? Because obviously the first book you got published wasn't the first book you wrote, so what kind of stuff were you writing before um, all along? Just anything really, like yeah. s- class assignments I would write and then maybe write a little bit more. Um, but the thing that I wrote that kind of was like, yes, was um, we read Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood um, for A-level, so I was... 16 or 17 and I rewrote a chapter from another character's perspective and then I went to see being a nerdy like pretending I was going to the pub went to see Margaret Atwood at an event at oh 16 gosh. years old um, and brought this thing you know this, this story and gave it to her and Did you? yeah and she wrote back and said oh it's, that's amazing yeah. well this it, it gets even more amazing <laughs> she wrote back and said it's great you should carry on writing and she put it on this little postcard so I had this postcard as like oh, my wow. thing that's and so when cool. I got my publishing deal I wrote to her and I took a copy of the postcard and I sent it and I said you sent me this and it's meant so much and it's like been the thing that's kept me writing and she wrote back again and went oh my oh. god that's so amazing what a lovely story and I'm like so basically I'm mates with Margaret yeah. Atwood <laughs> that's that a pretty is good gorgeous it's a good story like it. what a lovely woman like she must be so busy and yeah. yet she had the time oh wow the only Margaret Atwood stories with <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about yeah. your relationship uh, well. <laughs> well actually because you were very inspired by The Handmaid's Tale yeah the book by Margaret yeah, Atwood yeah 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 my English teacher gave it to me um when I was 15 and said, you know, I really think you should read this and just blew my mind, I suppose. Because, you know, I, as I said, I grew up in a small town. Feminism wasn't really something that we were talking about um, around the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. The only sort of introduction to feminism I had had was sort of girl power with the, the Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this pop group manufactured by a bunch of men, which is mm-hmm. clearly what feminism is all about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that book was very important. Yeah, okay. What is the typical day in the life like when you're writing? I know every day is different. Uh, oh, well at the moment, to be honest, because I, I moved home in January to start writing my third book, but I've still, because I'm asking for it came out in September and it just it just hasn't seemed to stop. So like, you know, I've had a full week this week of publicity and I moved home in January and I'd say the most I've spent at home has been three days in a row. Like I'm constantly packing my bag, just um, kind of doing little mini tours and um, events. and. So, but when I'm writing, um, I'm so boring when I'm writing. Uh, like I, I don't drink. 
I don't date and those are like my favorite things to do so I'm very <laughs> dedicated um and I go to bed at like about 10 o'clock I'm up at five and I meditate I do a bit of yoga and then I'm at my desk by about six and then I work all the way through to about 11 30 and at that stage I'm ready to kill someone um <laughs> and uh, normally one or other of my parents uh so then I just kind of go for a walk and I just I I, I tend to live like a very monk-like existence mm. when I'm writing but that's easy for me because I don't have any children or mm. husband or you know so what's your writing routine like or a day in the life? Um, well, I, have a, I have an, um, an office in my garden, so I've built a little shed. I call it a shed, but it's like the most glamorous shed you've ever seen. It's all got glass walls. It's absolutely gorgeous. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's my special place that I huh. built for writing. And I drop my daughter off at nursery, and then I basically do like a work day. I try and mm -hmm. make it like a sort of nine to five. It's not nine to five. It's sort of about ten until about half two. Mm. Um, so... I, d I don't know, I just sort of, I used to be like kind of precious about, well, I, I'm not inspired to write right now, but I don't have that luxury anymore, so I just mm -hmm. sort of sit my ass at the table, at the desk, and, yeah. and do it. Unless I'm doing verse, that does come, that's a little bit more difficult, so mm -hmm. if I'm writing verse, I can't really just sit there and be like, come to me, words, come to me, because it's yeah. like you've got to have the rhythm and you've got to have the melody of the language, so yeah. I'll often walk and listen to poetry on audio or something, um, and then maybe speak into my phone and, and say, kind of write that way. And then I'll write with a pen and a piece of paper rather than on a laptop. So if I'm writing verse, it's not as strict as kind of sitting in my office at the desk. But if I'm writing prose, I'll try and sit and do. That's I don't know. I have a word count, what, a thousand words. Yeah, I'm the same. I a thousand to, a day. I don't get up until I finish yeah. that. And um, I do actually, I sort of do a thousand a day or four hours. Because after yeah. four hours, I know that if I haven't done a thousand words, that's it. And I can do a four, I can do a thousand words in. 45 minutes if I'm if, if I'm really coming. on a roll yeah, yeah. it's amazing when you're really in the zone and it's like it's like and I've said that you know with um particularly with only ever yours there was whole passages when I was reading back that I couldn't remember writing mm. you know sometimes when you're really there and it's like your your fingers can barely keep up with sort of what's coming through you you know it's like yeah. it's coming through you rather than actually from you yeah and that's those are the best days those are the best days <laughs> those don't happen all the time because no. often it is like you're like walking through treacle you're like yeah. I'm gonna get my <laughs> thousand <laughs> words today <laughs> and you're like putting like loads of adverbs in that you're like uh, I know I'm gonna have to edit these out but I yeah. just want to get the thousand words down on the page <laughs> that's yeah. what people have said though it's just even if the words aren't great, yeah, just, just, just get, get them Just down. keep going. Yeah. You can edit afterwards. Yeah. Have you, had you ever tried um, adhering to any writing rules or myths that you'd heard that you now think don't work at all? Because I know, I think especially in school, when I was in school, we were told there was a right and a wrong way of creative mm. writing. Um, no, I think actually, because, you know, when I was at Trinity, I suppose, um, I'd always been really good at, uh, you know, English was my favourite subject in school and I always loved just writing and creative writing. Um, and I remember finding it really difficult actually because academic writing is such a completely different discipline and feeling quite discouraged actually by it. So there was a real freedom when I was just writing my own stuff that I didn't have to, it didn't have to be in a particular style that I could just write the way I wanted to hear it or the way that I, I was hearing it. Mm -hmm. um, any kind of rules, not, not especially. I mean, I do, as I said, I try and... Um, just the a thousand words a day thing um, and I do morning pages as well which is this trick from a book called The Artist's Way where you just write three pages of like just kind of stream of consciousness thinking every morning um, mm -hmm. which are always hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Well you have to publish a collection. Of oh my god no if I could <laughs> read my own writing like I leave my diary around the house all the time because honestly if anyone in my family has manages to decipher my handwriting they deserve <laughs> a medal. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people think that once you publish your first book, you're instantly rich, rich and famous. 
Um, is that true? Can, you make, <laughs> yeah, yeah. can you make a living on writing alone, in your experience? I think it's difficult to. I was, I was sort of lucky. Um, with I got a, a deal in the States with HarperCollins and that. Um, so I, I got my deal for The Weight of Water and in the UK, and then I got a, a really, I got a major book deal in the States. And what's really ironic, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for the publisher, was <laughs> that book bombed really quite badly in the States. Mm. And but I bought a flat, so yeah. <laughs> it was quite nice, and I was able to Both. leave. I was able to leave teaching, but that just, mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. And um, you know, when I, it happened, my agent was like, this doesn't, this doesn't happen. Okay, where you make so good. much money, and but well, I've been, I'm still living that, on by that. The way? Pardon? When was it? 2012, I sold okay. Breathe and Resist as a trilogy, and then it never became a trilogy. It became mm. Breathe, Resist, and then one was published after mm. that, because okay. they went, this trilogy isn't working. <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah. It did, it, it's, Breathe and Resist have done fine in sort yep. of the UK and Ireland, but um, it was coming out at a time where Divergent was really massive, and mm. there was the whole dystopian stuff, and it was just in, in such a... It was swallowed up in such a... Mm. Was, I mean, there was so many books, uh, dystopias at the time. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. But I know it is difficult. I'm not, that's not something that happens, really, okay. for people. Mm -hmm. What about you, Louise? Um, it's funny, because I, I suppose when I finished Only Ever Yours, I, I had been working um, for a fashion magazine in New York, um, and I came home to write this book. Um, and I, I hadn't shown it to anyone. I didn't know if it was any good. I, you know, so I just started sending it out to agents. And I sent it out to about 25, and within a week I'd heard back from 16. And there was like this really, really, really strong reaction straight away at agent level, you know, where I had sort of meetings with like really the top six agents in London, um, and then offers from five of them. And so I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to sign this huge deal. I'm going to be able to like leave my parents' house. Yes. <laughs> Just like, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out kind of thing. Um, and it was funny because then there, w there was a real reluctance um, when we first started setting out to publishers because they couldn't, they, they, could, they were like, is this YA? Is this adult? Um, it's too dark. It's too bleak. It's like, have you ever met a teenager in your entire life? When I, like rereading my own teenage diaries, I was like, wow, this book isn't bleak enough. Um, and so, yeah, so like the deal was, you know, I mean, you, w you wouldn't be able to, and I actually started, you know that way where you start thinking about the hours that you put in? Mm. And I was like, wow, there's like, no, no, I was going to say something really terrible there, but I know about like child labour, but I won't say that. Um, <laughs> and um, so, but no, but I mean, then I was really lucky. Um, I just signed another two book deal um, and that was very substantial. And they, you know, they gave that to me. I haven't got the third book even written yet. So that was really nice. Um, but yes, I do think it's, I, I feel like it's really discouraging actually a lot of the time when you go to events and writers are like, oh, no one makes a living out of writing and you can't make a living out of writing. I think people do make a living out of writing. Again, it's that sort of thing. Well, why, why not me? Why shouldn't it happen to me? And I think that it does happen to people. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I suppose there's luck involved, um, but all, you know, there's you just have to work really hard as well. Oh God, it's spilling my water. You have to work really hard as well, and just hope yeah. that that'll be enough. And the writing itself, I mean, you can supplement with doing events and yeah. you know, doing school events and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's not just doing actual writing, but being a writer then allows you to be a speaker as well. Yeah. So you yeah. can um, do those kinds of things. Yeah. And I know a lot of friends. That's really how they make their main living Perfect. as writers is by speak being speakers. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. have to have that almost gift of the gab as well as yeah, being I think a good so. Writer. I think sadly, sort of nowadays, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, it is. It is hard. I think as a writer, because you sort of need to have two sides of your personality in a lot of ways. Like you have to be 
really good at spending a lot of time by yourself um, because that's what you need to do, you know, when you're spending hours writing. And then you also need to be, you know, extrovert enough that if, if you're going to events or if you're on the radio or on TV that you can sort of sell yourself. And then you also need to be sensitive enough and empathetic enough that you can understand other people's uh, motivation and, you know, kind of understand, I suppose, why they're behaving the way they are. And then also thick-skinned enough so that when people are like, your book is terrible, you know, we hate you, <laughs> that you're like, okay, I'm not <laughs> just going to let that. So it's really, it's just like trying to balance the two. Okay, so I hope we haven't put anyone off yeah. thinking of becoming <laughs> yeah. a writer. Some good advice there, though. Um, what is the best thing about being a writer? Um, I think the best thing for me is when it's going really well, um, when I, you know, when I'm at my, and actually, when I talk about that kind of monk-like existence, it actually really suits me. Um, just, I don't know, the routine and the structure and the quiet at home and not having a lot of busyness. Um, I suppose just with my own sort of um, history with mental um, health issues, that's really useful. Um, and that feeling when I'm just there, and it, as I said, it feels like I'm totally in the zone and the words are just flowing, and I just, I can't, sometimes I just cannot believe that this is my job and that I'm getting paid and because my dad you know owns a butcher shop and like, he works such long hours and he's on his you know his feet every day and, and he always just says to me it's just I just I'm so proud of you that like you are creating something that you can just sit at your desk and create something out of your mind and that you get paid for that he said like I just think that's amazing because he said no one can take that away from you he said it doesn't matter where you are or what happens no one can take that ability away from you mm -hmm. um so I feel so lucky and fortunate that I'm able to do that What's your favourite thing, Sarah? I don't know, it just depends on the day. Mm. You know, some days I'm like, I hate being a writer. It's the worst <laughs> yeah. job. I'd rather go down the mines. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Then yeah. Other yeah. Days, I do that. I'll look out yeah. and I'll see um, someone driving a bus and I'll be like, yeah, no, bus driver's life is amazing. <laughs> yeah. travel I city or I go to Sainsbury's like, boop, boop. And I'd be like, I'd love to do what you're doing. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, yeah. so much easier than what I do. Yeah. And I have done that job. Beep, beep. But yeah. I worked in Iceland. Do you have Iceland? No. Yeah. Do we have Everything's yeah, freezing and your hands by the end of the day, you're like, my hands are so cold. <laughs> so I don't really want to be so a you're not sitting there being like, I'm not writing now, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think sort of similar to is the best thing about writing is writing and the worst yeah. thing about writing is writing. Yes, always, that is absolutely know? it. So yeah. I love doing it and I hate doing it in equal measure. I love having yeah. written lots of words, but I'm, when I'm in the middle of it, I'm yeah. not sure that I always love it. But then I'm like, write three particular you know, words in a row that I'm like, oh, those words are so genius. <laughs> and then the next I go, those words are so crap. <laughs> so it just depends, like, on my... I think the most difficult thing is, like, just the psych my own psychology and trying to be yeah. okay with being alone so often. Because I was a yeah. school teacher for 10 years, and that mm. job is all about relationships. Mm, yeah. And now I'm just sort of in relationship with my own mind the whole day, and yeah. that's not always a really happy place yeah. to be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think writing is great and also not great yeah. at the same time. And I think, actually, for me, the hardest thing about writing is sort of because I do yoga as well and sometimes that can be very difficult is it's having to sit with myself mm. and sometimes I really don't want to sit with myself you know I just want to keep busy and I just want to sort of distract myself and as soon as I sit down and sort of let things settle and then I suppose that inner critic always comes up like you're not good enough who do you think you are you know you're you're not talented and then it's just like trying to kind of silence that again yeah and that's why it's like you know you'll do anything to sort of avoid actually sitting down so and writing sometimes yeah. you know I suppose it's like going to the gym you know like when b beforehand you don't want to go during it you don't want to go and then afterwards you're like oh I'm so glad I went studying yeah I'm gonna ask one more question and then we'll take some questions um what job would you do if you weren't a writer um I think probably acting I think that's probably still the one 
Um, not a nun. <laughs> I really want to... No. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's actually... And actually, to be honest, because I'm doing a lot of... Um, I'm doing a lot of TV work at the moment. Um, I, you know, I'm filming a documentary uh, that's going to be on uh, RT. Uh, I'm presenting it um, uh, in September. I'm actually really enjoying that. Um, this is my mom's, like, dream for me. She keeps... Whenever, like, the Late Late Show is on, she's like, you'd just be so much better at this. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay, Mom. Like, I'm not going to present it. She's like, you might. You might, please. <laughs> but she also think you're going to be president. Oh, they do. Yeah. My dad thinks... I mean, so maybe this is why I have that attitude, why not me? Because my, my dad was like... I think you'd be so good as president. <laughs> like, I really, I, I've had a quite a murky past, and I've been very honest about that. I was like, I don't think so. Whereas my dad is like, you have ideas above your station. Yeah. You oh, need to get back no. into your box. You need to come hang out in my house, and my, my parents will love you. And Sarah, what would you do if you weren't? Um, I probably would go back to teaching. I really love teaching. Um, but if I maybe if I had unlimited resources, I it sounds so lame, but I really like driving. I would probably be like a race car driver or really something. I would love so that driving fast I love driving fast yeah yeah that's yeah. so random. <laughs> so I don't just go to see Royal Shakespeare Company productions. Yeah. I also drive fast cars. I think you guys could team up and you'd be the new Top Gear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll be definitely in the studio though. Like, cut to Sarah. <laughs> like, this is a red car. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, tell us about this red car. Oh, okay. Um, okay, we're going to ask, uh, open the, the floor up to questions. We haven't spoken much about um, one and asking for it yet. So if anyone had any questions about the book specifically or anything else, Put your hand up. Oh, here we go. Oh, of course. What's your, what's your name? Hayley. Hayley. Hi, Hayley. <laughs> what's your question, Hayley? Um, no, it's, um, the books will have great qualities for like, teen, uh, cinnamon. <laughs> oh, don't give yeah, her, give a, her microphone. a microphone. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. No, it's, um, they have great, like, they, uh, it's, they have so much to do to become a movie, a cinema movie. How would you feel about that? Because I know, like, when, like, a lot, sometimes, even though you hate it, a lot of books, they take half of it out from the movie, and they only put some of it in. So how would you feel about your books becoming... In terms, of, in terms of someone sort of creating anything from something that I've done, I just find it so such an honour that people will work hard to sort of create something that I've written. So I was in Berlin last week, I think, or the week before last, um, and there's a stage play of The Weight of Water, which, oh, um, wow. yeah, it was absolutely gorgeous, and it was these two girls playing Kajenka, and then they were also playing all the other characters, and they had, it was just like a, a black box with all these sort of blue foam squares, and the way that they had done it, it was just incredible, and I... Um, I was so overwhelmed because I don't speak German, but I understood everything because I was like, they've totally captured like the feeling of the book. Wow. Um, and it was, I, I cried three times, but mainly because it was like, all these people have worked so hard on some like little thing that I wrote in my room. And it was just like, you know, that whole thing, they're just little me writing in my little <laughs> room. And, what? and it was like, oh my gosh. And then I met the actresses afterwards and the director and like, it was just, um, and I, you know, there are things in the pipeline as well that are going to happen. And I just think, I just feel so honoured that people would take what I have and create something different. Mm. And even if they create something different where I think that isn't my vision, but it's not meant to be my vision. The book mm -hmm. is my vision and my work is done and now it belongs to other people. So when people like students and stuff will, will say, oh, I read your book and I thought this about it. And then they're like, is that true? Like, is that real? Is that like, is that a correct interpretation? I'm like, it's not my business anymore. Mm. It's mm. your book now. It doesn't mm. belong to me anymore. Yeah. So if someone just takes what you've done and like creates something, God, how amazing is that? It just, mm. it fills me with 
I don't know, it's just like pure joy. It's just, yeah. I think it's such a beautiful thing. And, and like when people shadow, there's the Carnegie shadowing in the UK, and then obviously there's the CBI shadowing here. And I've seen people like create things from reading the book and like doing the shadowing. And when I see like performances, like dance performances, I'm like, oh, it does something to me, mm -hmm. like not mm. sexual thing to me. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, oh. I'm just like, Oh, in a very pure, nun-like way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're just so chased. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, both... Um, I signed um, a movie deal uh, for the first book, so they're making a movie, a TV series, and hopefully a Broadway show um, out of Only Ever Yours. Anyone who's read that book will know that'll make the most depressing Broadway show that has ever been created. Um, and yeah, so they're, and they're also making a uh, three-part TV, um, TV drama out of Asking For It. So we're working on the scripts at the moment. Um, and it's really strange, actually, because you know they're like, oh, we really want to give the parents a backstory. And there's this scene where they're having sex, and I actually felt physically ill. It was like my own parents were having I was like, you can't put that in. And they're like, they're real people, too. And I'm like, they're not. <laughs> um, but it's, I suppose, again, and I really, really agree with Sarah, is that it's a completely different, um, it's a completely different medium. I don't know anything about writing uh, for uh, movies or for um, television, and I try to be as sort of collaborative as possible. I mean, sometimes it is annoying, mm. like with asking or with on, only every yours. They, um, uh, I was like, you know, I really don't want you to change the ending, and then they were like, uh, so is there like a rebel colony anywhere? <laughs> I was like. <laughs> No, there's no rebel colony. Are you like? Are, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like maybe, maybe. The, and I'm no. There is no rebel colony. So, but I'm trying to be like really, because I and I really, I totally agree with what you're saying as well. With readers, when people ask me, you know, what happens next, or what do you think, and I'm like, it is up to you. You know, it's you. As you said, it's your book now. I've done my bit, and just sort of, just let it go from there. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any other questions? Are we some over here? Two over here. Um, as someone who attempts to write, the hardest part for me is deciding like a character's name. What would be the hardest part when writing? Like, what would the hardest part be for you? Um, not begin, not starting it. And I, lo I love choosing characters' names. That's one of the things I really like doing. I think when I sort of hit the wall, like they talk about hitting the wall when you run a marathon, and I think it's the same thing. Um, when you write a book, it does feel like a marathon, and you just hit a wall, and it always seems to me that I've got about 10%, 20% of the book to go, and it's like, this book isn't going to get finished, and I never should have written it, and I, it's so rubbish, and now someone else is going to do it better. But I know that's just like the fear. So you were talking about, like, like, do you have any writing mantras? And my one is like, feel the fear and do it anyway, mm -hmm. or just like, be brave. So I, ha I know that when I have those gremlins going, you're rubbish and this book is never going to get finished and why did you even start it in the first place and you are a loser. That's just like, that's yeah. just my, those are just my gremlins no, and, no, and I've got to be like, like, I've got to just God. let them stay there and be like, I know you're there. I know you're trying to stop me from writing this book, but I'm just going to carry on anyway. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'll just like feel it and go, right, I've got this fear and I'll, I'll own it and I'll just yeah. keep writing. And yeah. so that's always the hard part for me is when I get, I hit that wall and just think there's no point and why did I even become a writer in the first place? And mm. everyone who liked my book was stupid because obviously <laughs> I can't do this. You know, but you have like, it does, it I becomes know. overwhelming. Yeah. Like, this, because you're on your own so much. I think if you would like, if I were with more people and like people were just like, but I'm not, I like get to create these monsters in my own head. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm Mel 
cheating, you know, you like have these. Does anyone else have a picture of Sarah in her glass box in the bottom? Oh, yeah, just like yeah. talking to her shoulders. <laughs> like, and then yeah. going like this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, it's funny when you're saying about names because uh, people kept asking. Uh, I was doing, um, I was giving a lecture at a university about, for, about asking for it, um, and they said um, they were like, "Oh, did you choose Emma? You know, because Jane Austen said when she was writing her Emma that she wanted to, you know, make the most unlikable character she could." That is genius. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked up the census for the year that she would have been born and was like the top five most popular names. And we're like, Emma Grant. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, so now I say that's my reason. Um, I think actually for me, the most difficult part is starting um, because there is that fear of just when I when I'm about to, I'm like, can I can I actually do this? Have I sort of been like have I been pretending? Am I going to be caught out now with it? It is imposter syndrome, I suppose. Um, am I going to be caught out now with this one? And once I get into it, and once I get the uh, into the rhythm, I think it's sort of like dominoes. And I think with writing, it either goes one way or the other. Like you know, either you are writing every day and it's sort of going in the right direction, or you're not writing at all um, and you feel like you've got a bit of writer's block. So I think for me, it's just about sitting down and getting the a thousand words down even if they're absolute rubbish and just knowing that I can mm. edit them afterwards yeah so. yeah there's a, a writer called she's a kind of a self-help guru called uh, Brené Brown and she talks oh, about yeah. um, perfectionism is your greatest enemy so I sort of have that as well as my yeah. mantra it's like mm -hmm. you know you try and be perfect well are you perfect yet no do you know anybody who is no so it's a yeah. it's a lost cause you know mm -hmm. trying to be perfect create the perfect book it's just yeah. an impossibility and i actually and i totally agree with that because i remember reading i think it was perfectionism is the enemy of creativity because for years i was such a I perfectionist think that's Liz Gilbert. It's, yeah that's i think Liz Gilbert it's, quote, it's perfect yeah. and i think for me that when i was always trying to be perfect in everything um and then it really paralyzed me because i didn't want like i wanted to write this book since i was about probably like a book and i was since about i was about 18. And I kept thinking, it was like, if I write this book, it has to be the best book that's ever written. It has to win like all the awards. You know, my ex-boyfriend has to read it and really regret breaking up with me. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I never, st I never started. And actually, the thing is that before I start, the book is so perfect in my mind, and I get about 85% of the way there. And actually, that has to be just good enough. And for me, I think that was really hard, but also very liberating, knowing that. I wasn't perfect, as my mom was like, she was like, none of us ever thought you were anyway. Like, damn it, what a waste of my time. I <laughs> <laughs> like read another question, um, a couple of seats up. Yep. I just want to add to that, before you ask the question, I just want to add to that sort of idea of like perfectionism. And I think that what's, what's great is if you say, I want it to be perfect and I want to do this thing that's amazing, is that you don't have to take the risk of starting. <coughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to take any risk. If you're like, well, it's not perfect, so I'm not going to bother. It's like, mm. okay, great, so you're not going to take any risk. Yeah. So it's yeah. a very safe place to be in, actually. Yeah. So you think it's like, well, no, because I'm trying to be here. And it's like, well, no, it's that you don't even want to bother trying. Mm. So I think that that's the thing I've got to remember yeah. as well. It's like the fear of failure, yeah. you know? Yeah. Sorry. Just um, it's a question for Louise. Um, the story you're asking for, um, I was just wondering, has... You, do you know anyone that that happened to, or? To be honest, as a woman at 31, I know far too many people that this has happened to. Um, and actually, since I wrote the book, more and more friends have said, have told me things that happened to them when they were 17, 16, 17, 18. Um, and I think actually the problem was that at the time we didn't realize it was sexual assault, or we didn't really understand that maybe uh, we hadn't given consent. Um, and 
even even now when we're having these conversations and none of them want to say they'll always say oh look it wasn't rape but you know i don't think it was right and then they'll explain what happened they'll be like oh i was at a party and i was drunk and i woke up and someone was having sex with me or i told him no and he kept going or i can't really remember what happened but he said we had sex and i'm like that's that is actually rape um and so and it, it's really it's really sad actually because i think i thought this was a problem and once i wrote this book and this, the emails are coming in and people talking to me and it feels like actually nearly every woman that i know has some story whether it's just being groped or um unwanted touching or just some sort of even whatever sort of i suppose on the scale it is but it, it really feels to me now like it's it's almost like an epidemic um and that we really need to do something to tackle it okay before we get the next question, I don't have a watch. Does anyone have the time? <laughs> Very professional. You're so professional. Quarter bath. Okay, great. We have time for more questions. Ah, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> question here in the front row. Ah, yes. Hi, uh, Hi, Louise. Uh, when you're writing like harsh topics such as abuse and things like that, like. Uh, I'm a writer as well, and like my writing tends to be like, like it's very morbid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway, like I'm writing a book at the moment, and it was just like getting advice, like uh, how would like uh, advice when touching topics like such as like abuse and rape and things like that. I was just wondering what kind of advice would you give? Um, I suppose if it's about sort of wanting to make it as authentic as possible i suppose the important thing is to do research um you know i went to the rape crisis center and i spoke to a lot of survivors um i read a lot of first person narratives um i uh you know i read a lot of memoirs i um talked to the guards um i talked to solicitors and barristers i got a barrister to read the proof i also got um uh, the head of the sexual violence center in cork to read it um, just, I really didn't want to make a any sort of mistakes in that way because I felt like it was too important. Um, on a personal level, um, I did find it a very difficult book to write from the very beginning, you know, um, because I had to, before, uh, the day before I started the book, I had to sit down with my parents and my sister and be like, you know, I was uh, date raped when I was 19. So I think from the very beginning, and that was just traumatic because they were all devastated and I hadn't, I mean, that was like 11 years and I hadn't told them. And I remember sitting down to write this book and being like, this is not going to be an easy one to sort of get through. Um, and it wasn't actually, because I felt it was, I suppose I was bringing up a lot of stuff and I was so sort of deeply immersed in it. And I think it's really careful, I think you have to be very careful when you're writing about subjects that, like that that are so serious, but also maybe personal, um, to just try and take care of yourself as best you can. You know, like I, I, for me, it was yoga and for going for walks. Um, and just trying to get out of my head a bit. So, you know, I, I, I suppose I was you know, t trying to talk to people about it and just really take care of yourself in it, I think, is the most important thing. Any questions on this side? Any okay. Come back over here. If you were ever to do a collaboration on a book together, what would you consider writing on? Oh my God, Sarah, oh. we should totally do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh my God, burn. Like seriously. <laughs> I've already co-written a book and it's a tricky thing to do actually. It really is. Oh yeah, fine, I get it. Do. You don't want to co-write the book. It's really tricky. You have to really find the right person. Oh my God, shut up. No. I, I don't know. What do you think? No, no. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but to be honest I actually and I'm not just saying this because you burned me in such an epic way um I I don't know if I could actually um write with someone because I work in seclusion no one sees it I, I I don't even talk to like my editor about it until it's finished and even when people are like to me oh what's the book about I'm really superstitious I'm like no I don't want to tell anyone until I have it like a first draft because to be honest I don't know what it's about until it's the first draft is finished mm-hmm. in a weird way mm-hmm. um so no I don't want to work with you so <laughs> <laughs> maybe tell us a bit about the book you're writing with I mean I'm I, I was completely like you before I started doing the co-writing and I I was really secretive about my work and I didn't want to show anybody I didn't I don't have a crit partner so a lot of writers do have people they work with and show their work to and I don't <coughs> do that my the first person to see my book is either my agent or my editor mm. um, and I've as Louise does I I finish the book before I show anybody and it's pretty polished before it ever gets yeah. to the editor so there's not massive usually massive edits to do so Brian Conahan who wrote when Mr. Dog Bites um, and he's got a new book out called The Bombs Are Brought Together, um, said to me, w- he was thinking of writing a verse novel and st- sort of made a joke and was like, do you know anybody who'd know anything about that? And I was yeah. like, no, obviously, I don't know anything about that. And then he said, <laughs> would you fancy writing a book together? Um, and it was just the most liberating process because, as I said, I don't do that. I don't share my work. And I'd write 500 words, and then someone would read them within three minutes, and then... or eight minutes, I don't know how long it takes them to read 500 words, and then suddenly I'd get a chapter back within sort of four hours, and then I would be like, oh my God, right, okay, now now what does that character do? And then, so he wrote one character and I wrote another character, so I wrote from the girl's perspective, he wrote from the boy's perspective, and it was, the two characters are, they meet on probation, so they've both been up to no good, and he's from Romania, that it's set in London, and she's, there's violence in her family, um, specifically that her mother is beaten by her stepfather and she's made she's made to film it so it's quite oh she's, yeah so she comes from so they both come from these sort of violent and not very pleasant homes um, and then they become really really good friends and then but it, it, we didn't we never decided what we were going to do we never sort of talked about the plot I'm a real plotter and he was just like kind of let's just see how it goes and it was amazing and then the first moment where I was like I think this is a love story <gasps> I'm gonna make them kiss and I was like but then oh my god but that's so weird like and then I was like <laughs> yeah. okay so I wrote did you kiss. ask for his consent no, I didn't. <laughs> and then suddenly it was a love story and then he was like oh god I didn't think that they were gonna fall in love I was like yeah they are <laughs> so it was really really fun and that's then cool. um and then uh, we finished and then we were on the phone because he lives in Dublin. So then we were on the phone for sort of five hours, I think, editing, deciding what we were going to do. And then we went away and edited our own sections then came back, added certain chapters, came back. And then that was it. And it was the quickest book I've ever written and oh. the most the well, most Sarah, fun. that sounds like a dream. And it yeah. sounds like you should, like, you would be dying to do that again. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> taking it very personally now. Yeah. And so tell us when the book's going to be out there. Uh, February 2017. <laughs> oh, Keep going. Yes. Uh, there was a question over here. Yep, just way over there. I'm going to take two more questions after this. I'm just wondering, is Emma based on one character or is she based on many different characters? Say it again. Is Emma in Asking for a based on one character or um, many different characters? No, it's funny because... Um, <laughs> I, I've had this in interviews where people are like, oh my God, Emma is just so unlikable. What a bitch. And then they're like, is she based on you? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what impression I'm giving, but um, I'm like, I'm lovely. Sarah, I'm lovely. Please write with me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, and I suppose actually why, what I find surprising um, about Emma is when people do say that. I mean, I know she's 
she is, I suppose, a bit difficult and she is selfish um, and she is not exactly, you know, the best friend, but I think she's vulnerable and she's insecure and, you know, she's a lot of, like, I knew loads of people like that when I was 18. I think I probably did have a touch of that sort of, you know, everything seeming perfect and actually feeling kind of not good enough, really, um, underneath it all. Um, so for me, I just wanted, because when people say, oh, you know, she's not very likable, that doesn't actually matter that much to me. I think what I want is for people to say she felt very real. I know an Emma. She feels very authentic. Um, but it's funny, because obviously the book is set in a small town in West Cork. Um, and I'm from a small town in West Cork. <laughs> so there was a little bit of, like, when it first came out, people were like, oh, is this character based on, you know, like John Lachlan or whatever. I was like, no, I mean, genuinely, I would never, ever do that because I feel like it's a real abuse of power. Um, there are some times that I would, like, you know, mannerisms or if someone has a nervous tick, um, I'm like, oh, that's interesting and I might incorporate that, but I would never actually base um, a character on a person that I know in real life. So, okay, one question here. This is our second last question. Make it a good one. <laughs> um, do you know the ending of your books before you, like, start writing them? That's a good one. I think it depends on the book. Every book is different. Um, I'd say generally no. I think generally no. And I think with one, um, it really did get to the very end where I was thinking, what am I going to do with these two girls? And am I going to let them live? And am I going to kind of give them a chance to see how they would be apart? And um, yeah, so it wasn't until the end that I that I knew. I'm. I, I say I'm a I'm a planner, but I'm I'm a planner, but I don't. I think that if you plan too much, then you're not excited by what's going to happen next. Mm. So I want to be excited, wondering what's going to happen next. So generally, I don't think I know the ending. I can't mm. think of... Um, I th no, I think I did with Breathe and Resist, I did, because they're different sort of books. They're genre fiction and they're dystopias, so you sort of need to know where you're going. And you've got like three characters' perspectives and it's like spaghetti, so you've got to sort of know where they're going. But with my literary work, I don't think I generally know what's, what's yeah. going to happen at the end. Um, well, I suppose I've only written two novels, um, so but but for both of those, I knew exactly how they were going to end. And with um, Only Ever Yours, that was pretty much all I knew, <laughs> um, because I just sat down and it just seemed to come from somewhere. Um, and but I knew I just had the ending so clearly in my mind. And with asking for it because of the way it was structured, because you know it was uh, sort of. Uh, is it five or six? I really need to reread the book. Um, sort of like <laughs> six days, um, sort of one year and then the other year. So I needed to know exactly kind of what beats I was going to hit on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Thursday, Friday. Um, and again, I knew the ending with that. And I think for me, actually, what I want with my endings, I don't really like it to be tied up too um, neatly. Because first of all, I don't think that represents real life. Um, and secondly, I remember reading The Awakening um, by Kate Chapin, and it has this very sort of ambiguous ending, and I just, there was such a power in that, because actually as a reader, it gave me space to sort of insert myself into the narrative and make up my own mind about what, I suppose, what happens next. And I thought, I really enjoyed that, and I like giving the reader, I think, that freedom to do the same. So, our last question. I have a question for Sarah. Um, in all your books that I've read so far, you kind of write them in a sorry. Oh hi, there you are. <laughs> and you kind of write them in a poem-like fashion, mm -hmm. like each of the paragraphs. And I was just wondering how that came about and why you write it like that. 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, so when I wrote The Weight of Water, that was the debut novel that's in verse, and that I was living in the States at the time. I lived in, in America for about 10 years, and um, I was teaching there, and they read verse novels there like they do read any kind of novels. It's not an unusual thing. So I was reading a book, uh, I was teaching a book by Karen Hess called Out of the Dust, which was a verse novel, um, and I just loved the form. And then I started writing. I was sitting on my bed, and... I just thought, oh, I had this idea for a book and I started jotting it down. I thought, oh, God, it's in verse. <laughs> and I was really disappointed because I thought, oh, this is going to be hard. And I was right. Um, <laughs> and But I, I love the form and I think it, it's a particularly appropriate for The Weight of Water because she's sort of an outsider and she's quite different. And um, the way she might use language because she's Polish might be slightly different than the way um, a native speaker would, would use language so it really worked for that and then again with one um, they're, they're obviously such different people that they have such unusual anatomies that it I think it lent itself mm. to that and, and that it lent itself to the poetic form because there were so so many sort of um, like beautiful moments in their life that I wanted to capture and I didn't want to tell it as a story mm. and what's great about verse is you don't have to do the boring bits in between <laughs> so I just sort of have to like take all these photographs that's how I think of it I do a snapshot I was like and that's how it comes I think like that's how it feels to me rather than like a film which is how I feel like I write when I write prose. Like when I write prose, it has to be like, and then the next day, like I have to be very clear about, you know, you were yeah. saying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. When yeah, you write yeah, in yeah. prose, you have to be very clear about what the timings are and when this happened. But in verse, you can sort of have flashbacks and I think the reader is lets things go a little bit, you know, that, yeah. that they're, they're prepared, and not just that lets things go, but prepared to work a little bit harder, actually. Yeah. They're prepared to fill in the white space because there's so much white space on the page. You have to do a lot of work to be like, well, why is... Why is there only one word there and then another word there? And you've got to fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love writing, writing in verse. But it, as I say, I've got to let it come to me more. And it sounds really pretentious, but I do have to sort of be in the mood for it. Mm. Whereas prose, I can just sort of sit down and make it happen. <coughs> That's a really good question. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, one was the first book that I'd ever read in verse. And I remember, because um, I think I was sent a proof, and I was a bit like, oh, oh God, is this going to be really torturous? Not <laughs> because of you, just because I'd never re you know, read it. And, and within just a couple of, pages you just you completely forget you know because it's so it's so captivating and it's, it's just so beautifully written and I actually I made my sister um, read it and she was the same and she was like oh god it's a poem and I was like no just just read it <laughs> and she like she finished it out she rang me sobbing I was like I know um, <laughs> and she was just like I totally forgot like within two pages I was like yeah yeah, yeah. I know yeah it's amazing and it, what's funny is I think people who don't love reading are especially like oh god it's poetry and it's like oh. <laughs> and I have that always when I go into schools and I'm like hiya let's talk about poetry yeah. and they go oh get out just yeah. leave <laughs> um, but actually it's it's especially great for reluctant readers because you can read mm. it so quickly yeah. you know you give someone a 400 page book or I think it's 358 pages I don't know how many pages it is and it's like it's going to take you a good 16 hours or 12 yeah. hours but one takes you maybe two hours so yeah, I found that with reluctant readers they've really loved it because they can feel really successful mm -hmm. yeah. you know you, and I feel like that when I read verse novels I'm like oh my god I've read half you know, I've read, read half a book in an, mm -hmm. in an hour mm -hmm. I'm an awesome reader <laughs> you know. I read it on a flight to Italy and I, I told you that I was absolutely like in bits and like the, the person next to me was like are you okay? Has <laughs> someone died? And I was like, someone has died. <laughs> so terrible. Spoiler alert. Spoiler sorry. <laughs> Thank you all so much for your questions. Um, for the next part, if you guys are interested, um, we're going to leave out this 
fabulous store up here. Um, and you can all <laughs> head over to Gutter Bookshop where the books will be for sale. You can also meet with Louise or Sarah and ask them any further questions you might have or get books signed if you brought books with you. So uh, for now, I'd like to take a big thank you to Sarah Crossland and Louise Neil. Thank, thank you. Thank you.